time now for the Border News Roundup. Friday mornings, we get a chance to check in with Marshall Helmberger. Marshall's the editor and publisher of the Timber Jay newspaper, serving northeastern Minnesota. Good morning, Marshall. Thanks for being here. Well, happy to be here, Heidi. Well, let's start off where we started off last week because you have an update on the Voyagers National Park and the violations, the tasing of a local business owner. What is new? Well, what's new is we were able to get a hold of the couple. Um, They're actually from South Dakota, and uh, they were the ones who had rented this houseboat um, that had run aground on Lake Cabotogama back in June of last year. And uh, they had rented the houseboat from Evil Houseboats, and when they ran into trouble, they had uh, contacted uh, the company there, and uh, Justin Ebel, the owner-operator of the business, uh, had come out in a service boat uh, you know, to uh, get them off the rocks. And uh, once he was able to do that, uh, you know, he uh, directed them into a nearby bay known as Sullivan Bay, um, you go through a narrows off of Lake Cabotogama into Sullivan Bay, and it's quite protected. And he wanted to get them in because it was a very windy day, which is part of the reason they probably ran into the rocks. Um, and he wanted to get them into sheltered waters where he could then, you know, get them docked and then uh, inspect the, the houseboat to make sure there wasn't, you know, damage. So, um, so that was the plan. And uh, he ran into uh, problems, as we talked about last week, with a couple of park rangers who, uh, you know, decided uh, they wanted to do something else and, uh, you know, approached the houseboat uh, and made demands for the houseboat to come out into the uh, broader part of the lake. Rather, just as they were heading into the narrows, they had uh, made this demand. And uh, according to the, uh, the houseboat owners, this couple that we spoke to, um, they were they were very nervous about that demand by the Park Service because they said, given the winds and given where they were at the time, they said it was almost impossible for them to actually turn this houseboat and get it out into the main portion of the lake without running into uh, the shore because or or into rocks because they had. Uh, we're just about to turn into the narrows. And, you know, these things are not that maneuverable, especially in, in high winds, uh, which is what they were experiencing that day. Um, and they described this whole incident as very stressful um, and made m- much more stressful, obviously, by the rangers and their uh, de- uh, demand. And then, of course, because their demand was unreasonable and unsafe, uh, Justin Ebel uh, had had directed them to ignore that and continue on into the Narrows and go into Sullivan Bay, um, whereas he said he would go and talk to the to the rangers, and he did. Um, in fact, we even have video of that, and he uh, indicated in that video, he, he told the rangers, if you want to talk to these folks, you know, come on in, and uh, you can do it at Sullivan Bay while they're docked. You can talk to them to your heart's content. And that wasn't acceptable to these uh, rangers who then boarded uh, Justin Ebel's boat and tased him twice. Uh, and it, it's just been inexplicable why they did this. And the, the houseboat uh, couple, uh, they, they said they've been racking their brains uh, ever since that day trying to figure out what they could have done differently or how on earth this situation ever escalated uh, to what they saw. I mean, they, they felt terrible you know, that they're, you know, running aground on rocks led to uh, Justin being, uh, you know, tased twice, 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, he was arrested and, and jailed, um, and uh, they, uh, you know, he had to go through some legal proceedings, although virtually all of the uh, charges were eventually dismissed. Um, but, uh, you know, it was obviously a huge inconvenience for him, um, and because, uh, because of this, he wasn't able to um, provide services in the park. He had to hire other people, you know, last summer to provide service uh, to his uh, houseboat customers. It was, it was an, an incredible inconvenience, and, uh, and yet we've had zero accountability. Um, and, of course, one of the questions that, you know, um, that we've had uh, for the park service is, why did you go and talk, or need to talk to these folks on the houseboat? Because the houseboat, as we mentioned, had been on rocks, uh, for over an hour, and those, those same rangers had actually gone over initially and asked them if they needed help, um, and they said no, and they said, are you okay? Um, and they said, we're fine, we, help is on the way, and at that point, the rangers went off, and, and what this you know, couple said is, if they had questions for us or needed to talk to us about something, they said, we weren't going anywhere while we were on the rocks. And, you know, they could have sat and talked to them to their heart's content at that point. But instead, it's like they almost, it was almost a premeditated thing where they were trying to intercede at the most difficult point when this, uh, this houseboat was not really in a position where it could maneuver very readily. And then you come in, make a demand, and then they created this incident uh, and really chose to escalate it. Um, and, you know, we've, we've asked, we've had detailed questions uh, submitted to the, uh, the park superintendent at, at Voyagers asking, you know, what was the rationale for what these park rangers did? And we have gotten, as we talked about last week, exactly nothing. It's like the National Park Service is a black hole. You know, we filed a FOIA request last August. We've never gotten a thing from that. Um, it, it's astonishing to me. Um, and they're even violating their own policies. You know, I mean, the, the National Park Services, uh, they have, you know, guidelines. You know, and we actually got a hold of their, their guidelines for dealing with uh, media on law enforcement matters. And it, and it clearly states that they should cooperate in all ways uh, as, as much as possible in, uh, in these types of matters. And that it lists a whole a long list of things that, uh, that are releasable you know, including criminal complaints and supporting documentation. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that we should have been able to get according to their own manual from the Park Service, and they have res- provided us with exactly nothing. So Marsh- I've never seen a government <laughs> body in my 35 years as a reporter that has been so unwilling to provide even a scintilla of information. You know, I was just going to ask you, as a journalist, there's bigger issues going on here. Is it that? What, what else do you see in this story that troubles you? Well, I mean, you know, the, the lack of information is one thing. But, I mean, to me, the thing that gets my dander up more than anything as a reporter is to see abuse of power. People, when they're in a position of authority, whether it's, you know, some governmental or law enforcement, you are, you are provided a huge amount of, of authority, and you can use that authority for good, or you can use it to settle scores, or to just beat on people you don't like, or abuse them in some other way. And when I see abuse of power like we saw here, 
that's why we are continuing to focus on this story and, and, and follow it through because this kind of stuff cannot happen. And when it does, we want to make sure that we ferret it out and that uh, there's some accountability. Well, there's no question that you are going to keep on this story. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. <laughs> We're a little invested in this yeah, one now. <laughs> yeah, wow. It'll be interesting. Um, you talked last week about hoping other media picks up on that, and I, I hope as it continues, more people know about it. Yeah, I certainly hope so. We've, we've reached out to some other media, but so far there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest in it, which is just astonishing to me. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, Marsha, let's move on. Let's talk about um, an event that happened in Ely. You know, people come up with ideas that bring new things to a town, and it was the End of the Road Film Festival last weekend. That's right, and this was in conjunction uh, with the Ely Winter Festival, and this is the first ever... Uh, it's called the End of the Road Film Festival, and uh, it was based out of the uh, out of Ely's historic uh, State Theater. And if folks haven't been to the State Theater, it is amazing. This was uh, a Art Deco era uh, theater um, that had fallen into you know disrepair and was really you know headed for collapse here in not too distant future. And it was redone by. Uh, uh, a family um, that has been investing a lot of money in, in re- fixing up Ely, and they did an amazing job on this. So it was just a fantastic venue uh, for this uh, film festival, and they got a lot of films um, and some really interesting stuff, uh, a lot of short films. Uh, they had some comedy films. Um, they had uh, you know, feature-length films as well. Um, on a lot of, you know, sort of Minnesota-based or Minnesota-interest-type topics. Um, they also uh, had a, a film after Antarctica. This was a, a documentary uh, that was uh, uh, directed by Will Steger. Um, and, uh, and then they also had, uh, I mean, just a lot of things on, on issues like, um, uh, you know, the uh, issues with indigenous women and their disappearances and, and violence against them. Um, you know, these are kind of very important issues, and, uh, and they uh, had in tremendous turnout. I mean, and I guess it doesn't surprise me, but, I mean, they, uh, virtually every showing was packed. Um, I mean, they, most of them sold out right away, and, uh, and you know, the overall the, uh, the in, in impression that it made on, on folks who attended was very, very positive. So, uh, I mean, I think there's no doubt that, uh, this film festival will be done again, um, and that it's probably going to be, uh, you know, much more popular and uh, start to get more buzz. I think as uh, as time goes on. But you know, this really is, uh, I think, indicative of just kind of what's been happening in Ely in recent years. I mean, there's there's just a vibrancy to the community um, that uh, you know comes up with events like this, like you mentioned, and, uh, you know, makes them successful. And there's just a, a real interest in, in, uh, in this kind of uh, thing in Ely. So it's, it's really good to see. Marshall, before we go, let's talk about another story you covered about what might happen this spring when it comes to a flood risk. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. The National uh, Weather Service uh, came out with their first uh, spring flood risk assessment, and they, they come out with these periodically uh, as we head you know, into spring, and uh, they're indicating that this year there is an elevated uh, spring flood risk, um, and that's probably not surprising given the amount of water that is in our snowpack right now. Um, you know, and this, that storm we had this week um, where we had uh, considerable amount of rain, you know, followed by some snow, um, you know, most of that rain, of course, it just kind of soaks into the snowpack, and uh, so that's just more uh, water that's sitting there, you know, uh, waiting to melt in the spring. And, of course, a lot of it depends on how, thing, how that melt happens, whether it comes with rain and things like that. Um, but, you know, at this point, most of the indicators are saying uh, definitely a, uh, a risk of uh, at least minor flooding this year. Um, and uh, the one uh, indicator that is on the positive side is that there's very little frost in the ground. Um, you know, we've had a very mild winter, um, even though we've had a fair amount of snow. Um, but the uh, without frost in the ground, that, that at least provides the possibility that most of the melting uh, snow, that water will, will seep into the ground. So that uh, is one thing that could mitigate uh, the current risk. But, um, you know, if you look... Uh, down the road here, I mean, the uh, extended forecasts, you know, the 8 to 14 and, uh, you know, forecast and also the 30-day forecast and even the 90-day forecast are showing uh, higher percentages of uh, precipitation than, than normal. So if we are above uh, normal for precipitation these next couple of months, that's just going to add to the problem. And um, so there's certainly the risk. I mean, if you were to look at, uh, compare where we are now to where we were last year at this time, um, the only thing that's different is that we did have some frost in the ground. And so I think that uh, contributed to the, the flooding we saw last spring, which was really incredible, um, especially up here in the border country. I mean, some of the, the flooding that took place in the Boundary Waters was uh, just unbelievable. Um, and then, of course, all the stuff up at the border, you know, which we reported on extensively last year. Um, so, um, you know, hopefully we won't see that again, um, but you never know, depending on the circumstances here. At this point, though, um, there's certainly, uh, you know, the snowpack that we have is certainly a, a, a risk for future flooding. It's Marshall Helmberger. This has been the Border News Roundup. You can read and see more and find out how to subscribe to the Timberjay at their website. It's timberjay.com. Have a great weekend, Marshall. We'll check in next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks.